you go, Abby? Okay, let's run the last song, I guess. Um, this is a lot. Is it me? It might be me, you know. Just as a...
Yeah, good. It's it feels like it's rushing. Well, it, yeah, we he we sped up, but he's like it's because we started really slow, which is true. I think we started a little bit slow. Really? Uh, you thought it was okay? okay. Yeah, I, I feel like we're back where we were, but okay. It just feels like it's it feels like we're struggling with the tempo a little bit. Well, we can keep the click in for this song too. It's fine. Um, um Jared. Oh, it's or I guess everybody. Um. You guys are just going to follow me, right? And we'll just end like that. We'll come down. Is that fine? Um, I probably, I don't know how many times I'll go back and forth between the bridge and the chorus after, but um, I think that's the plan. Um, can you play your, can you play a D chord again? Play a D chord? Yeah, your guitar is a little bit out of tune. Oops. It's a little bit out of tune. I think we're okay, Brayden. Is it going to be okay? Because she's leading Blessed Assurance. So I is, are you going to be okay with I think... I think you should just leave it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, just whatever. We can so talk about it. So we don't have sound issues and stuff. It'll be okay. We'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. Is anybody does anybody need anything else last minute? Or are we okay? We're okay. Jared's coming on stage already.
There we go. Good morning, everybody. If you're still lingering in the foyer, I, this is your official 10-second warning to come and find a seat. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad to see you all again this morning. I'm really, I, I always say this, but I really genuinely mean it. I'm really excited to worship with you this morning. Um, I thought I'd start the morning off just by um, reading you a bit of scripture. So if you'll stand with me, and then we're going to open God's word. It's a good way to start the morning. I'm going to read to you this morning from, um, from, Psalm, from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. So, Father, this morning we gather together in your house and we lift up our heads and we say, come on, King of glory. We long to meet with you here. We long to dwell with you here. To pause every other circumstance in our life and to just be with you in this house, God. Come on, King of glory. Amen.
Father, we come this morning and are so thankful to declare that truth together and that it is true, that you reign above every circumstance that we stand in, every different kind of week that we walk in from, as we gather here as a community, you reign above us. and you fight against everything that wants to steal our affection and our attention. You reign, Jesus. And you reign above us here and you reign in our individual lives and also wanna declare that you reign above our nation. And in this moment, Lord, we wanna stand with our nation and reject the darkness and the brokenness and all the ways that the evil one has tried to fight and steal and kill from the lives of the indigenous people of Canada. You are a God who reigns above it all, but we also know you are a God who is close to the brokenhearted. You are a God who walks so closely with the abused, the forgotten, the voiceless, and the misunderstood. And we, you have called us to mourn with those who mourn and we mourn with those who mourn the loss of freedom and choice and life those who have been made in your image and are deeply loved by you we pray for healing right now for all of those whose lives are afflicted and affected still by the abuse and injustice in the residential school system and we ask for hope and healing for survivors for families and for nations who were made as humans in your image, but have been made to feel less than human. We ask for reconciliation for broken systems and relationships that strain and fracture across our country and in our own communities because of this reality, God. For us here in this room today, we would ask to grow in an understanding and a compassion for the ways that we've broken your world and your heart and for restoration and reconciliation. Open our eyes to your heart for justice and mercy, Lord, and show us our role. Show us where you would have us as a people walk in joining you in restoration, God. As we gather here today, would you grow our love for you? Would you grow our love for the world that you have created? And would you help us to see you more and more clearly for who you are as the God who reigns and the God who walks among us, who is close to us. Amen. Hey, before you guys grab a seat and uh, we keep going with the morning announcements, I'd love for you just to greet those around you, say hello to someone near to you this morning and welcome them here.
Hey, I love this part of the morning, getting to see you guys, like all connecting and chatting, and then I have to jump in and interrupt you, sorry. But I want to welcome you here to Town of Field Church. Uh, my name's Katie, and this morning I just have the privilege of walking you through some elements of our gathering today. Uh, but first of all, I just want to say, if you're new with us today, welcome here. I would love to meet you. After the service, I'm going to be at the welcome table, which is just on the right-hand side before you leave the main doors, and I'd love to meet you. I've got a gift for you and can answer any questions you have uh, about Town and Field. Whether you are new here or been coming here for a long time, you might be wondering what is the best way to keep track of what is going on at Town and Field. And I just want to encourage you, if you aren't on our email newsletter list, to get on that list. You can go to townandfield.ca slash events and sign up for it. And this is a place where once a month, the team just pulls together all of the details. And so if you're sitting here or in the middle of the week, you're like, oh, what time was that parent equipping event at? Or when was the alpha night? You can just go to the uh, email and find all the details there. So make sure that you're on that list. I also want to encourage you, if you're not on our prayer newsletter list, to sign up for that. It's uh, just a really beautiful bi-weekly prayer letter that goes out. Uh, one of our members of our community writes this just beautiful guided prayer for us to walk through together. When we can't physically be together, we can pray together into where God is moving us as a church. So make sure you're signed up for that. There's also at the bottom prayer requests from within our community, and it's just a really sweet way to stay connected uh, when we're not physically together. All right, I'm going to invite up Catlin uh, for this morning's message. And as he comes, I just want to encourage you guys to be praying for our staff team. In this season of transition, it can be really difficult to lead <laughs> and complex to lead a church in transition. And so be praying for these guys. And uh, also, we would love if you'd be praying for the elders and the search team as we look for a lead pastor uh, in the coming months. Thanks, guys. No, nah, it's been easy. Um, <clears throat> Sometimes I don't sleep well. I say, God, why? Why do why me? We're going to start a series. Uh, hey, you're back in person. Oh, it's so good to see you, Ralph. You're my, Ralph's like one of my dearest friends. And he was injured, and he's been at home watching online. And so, so good to see you. Um, we're starting a series today called Eden. And we're going to be, for the next four weeks, in the Garden of Eden, looking at, um, I think, some truths that come out of it. In particular, we're going to look at uh, identity, purpose, calling, and assignment. Uh, four themes that I think God is speaking into our lives and specifically reestablishing in our generation. So we're going to answer four questions over the next four weeks. Who am I? Why do I exist? Can I live a life of significance? And do I have something to do with this life that God gave me? And I think it's going to be really good. And so today we're looking at identity. And answering this question, who am I? Who am I? You know, if I was to ask you that question, who are you? How would you answer that question? You know, sometimes I think we might try to pull ideas and brands and interests and hobbies to try to formulate this conception of who we are and try to describe ourselves to people. Like, this is who I am. And we try to, we try to come up with a... Uh, an answer for people, a, a like we try to show people who we are. But I think more than ever, we, we're in a time where our generation is looking for identity. <clears throat> and so our society says, <clears throat> just decide, just, just whatever you want. Like, 
You can just decide your identity. You can decide who you are. And yet, and yet, when we look at the world, there is just so many people who are lost. Like, have no idea who they are, what their identity is. Who am I? And so we're just trying to figure it out. And apart from Jesus, people are just trying to make their best effort. But with Jesus, I think there's, there's actually a very clear uh, understanding of who you are that's so freeing. Because we've been talking about this, this reality in our, in our vision statement that we want to see all people experience the abundant life found in the way of Jesus. And apart from Jesus, we're, we're left to our own devices, imagination, and intellect to try to come up with an answer to our identity. But with Jesus, we can actually step into abundant life by knowing that we are secure in our identity, secure in our purpose. We can live a life of significance. And we have something to do with our lives. And I believe it all is found in Eden. And I believe that for this reason. I believe that our calling is determined by our purpose. Our purpose is found in our identity, and our, our identity is discovered in Eden. Our calling is determined by our purpose. Our purpose is found in our identity, and our identity is discovered in Eden. So who are you? Okay, let's establish a couple like frameworks here. Sociologically, our identity is directly connected to our value. Society says that our value, our merit, our worth are, are attributed to what we do, achieve, create, produce, our successes, and what we contribute to the world. This is why in our culture in the West, when you introduce yourself to someone for the first time, like you might have just done in that greeting moment, so often we introduce ourselves by our name, and what, what's the first question we ask people? What do you do? Why? Because right away, as soon as we answer that question, we're just scaling people in our mind. How much value do you have? This is why when you meet someone, they're like, oh, I'm a surgeon. You're like, wow, you're amazing. Like, you studied hard. Like, all of a sudden, we're like, wow, you have so much value. Watch this. You meet someone, and they're like, yeah, I'm just kind of like unemployed right now, and I'm just trying to figure it out. You're like, oh, okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm making it a hyperbole to make a point, though. I'm trying to show you that we all do it because we are attributing value to someone based off of what they do, which is what the output of their life. So because of people's output in their life, what they, what, what they do with their life, we attribute value and we tie an identity to the value. So I identify with my job. My job is who I am. It's what I do. I am my job. I am, so I am this, and I am, and that's so often we attribute our value to our identity. So then the next question in, my, in, in, in the way I think about it is what, 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 do you, what brings you value? Is it your job, your net worth, your network? Is it your education? Is it your social standing, your likes and follows? Is, it what, is that what brings you value? Is that what makes you worth it? Is that your identity? I am this. That's why I love Survivor. I don't know how many of y'all watch Survivor. But you know in reality TV, when they introduce a character, they have their name and then they have their occupation? Why? It's because like, oh, how valuable is this person? And then we make judgments off that person. Oh, this person's a psychologist, so they're going to go far because they're going to manipulate the tribe and they're going to do this. And we start, we start building identity around what they do with their life. Now, what happens, though, when we lose our job? 
What happens when our, our net worth starts to go down? What happens when the things that we put our identity in, we start to lose the things that we had our identity in? And this is why sometimes when people lose their jobs, they're like, I don't know who I am now. That's why I had a friend who was, who was um, in ministry. He was on the executive team for Alpha Canada. He decided he wanted to, he wanted to, he was traveling so much. He's like, I want to be home more. I don't want to be traveling so much. And so he, he, he resigned from his position after many years with Alpha. And, uh, and then he went into a totally different field. And he says to me, he says, Kat, I feel like I'm having an identity crisis because I was always known as like this alpha person and this ministry person and this. And now I'm like, now I, now I work, uh, now I work for a construction company and it's so like not in the same realm as what I used to do. And I feel like I'm having almost this identity crisis because I don't know who I am because we allow what we do to become who we are. But who we are, it doesn't equate what we do. Because our identity is not in what I produce, create, what I contribute to the world. Those are all good things, but it's not who I am. Because I don't want it to be so tied to who I am that when I lose something in my life, then I lose who I am. And so we have to go to Eden in the beginning. Because I don't want our identity to be forfeited when we lose uh, our job or when what we thought we were good at, we're, not, we're no longer good at. Or when I put my identity in something, but then I get injured, and then it's like, well, I can't do that now, so who am I now? I don't want you to forfeit your identity because I don't want your identity to be so secured in something that you're producing or doing or contributing. Because it's not who God called you to be. Your worth is not determined by your successes and your outcomes in your life. Because if that's the case, then my worth and my identity is this constant, exhaustive effort to achieve at our own expense. But here lies the reality. Society says your worth and therefore your identity is in what you do. But here's, here, here lies the reality. The standard of society, what society says, the standard of society is not the reality of heaven. So what society is saying is not the reality of heaven. It's not actually what's going on. That's what society's best effort is to try to say, hey, what's your identity? And so to understand our identity and therefore our worth, we have to understand where it comes from. And to do that, we have to go back to the beginning in Genesis 1. And so in Genesis 1, in the 26th verse, God is speaking to himself. And he says this in the 26th verse. He says, let us make mankind, let us make humanity in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in the beginning, God created humanity in his image, in his likeness. Your worth and identity and value is in the reality that God made you in his, in his image and his likeness. Before you could produce something, do something, succeed at something, fail at something. Before you could do anything, your identity was rooted in the reality that you were made in his image and his likeness. And so it's like, I think of it like this, like our value and our identity is not in what I do, but is in the one who made me. My value and my identity is not in what I do, but it comes from the one who made me. Watch this. That's why if I was to paint on a canvas, like you know a canvas, like an artist would paint on. If I painted on that and said, my goodness, that's good. I'm going to send that to auction. And it was up against... 
like uh, a Da Vinci painting, you know, it was up against a Van Gogh. And it was like people are bidding on the Van Goghs and the Catlin Allens. I wonder which one's going to make more money at the auction. I know you think it would be mine. Why does that painting have value, though? Is it because it's the painting of some scenic, like, picture? No, nobody buys the rabbit painting. People are buying the name that painted the painting. People are buying a Van Gogh. They're not buying, a, like, a cityscape or a landscape. They're buying a Van Gogh. They're buying it because of who made it. The value is not in the art, but the value is in the artist. Come on, I just need you to get this one. The value is not in the art, but in the artist. That's why when you go to a big, well, none of us would probably be there. We can't afford this stuff. But those people that would go to such an auction where they're selling Van Goghs and Da Vinci's, they're not buying just any art. They're buying a Van Gogh. They're buying it because of the name. Can I tell you something? Your, your value is not in who you are, but your value is in because of the one who made you. Your value is not in the art, but the artist. You're the art. You're the created. Your value comes from the one who created you. And that's where our identity lies in. It's not because we're so awesome or we're, we're either successful or we're a failure or we're producing something great or we're not producing anything at all. It's irrelevant. Because our value is not tied to what we can do. Our value is tied to the one who created you. So the value is not in the art, but is in the artist. And that's where our daughter, that's where our, our value comes from. Your identity is as a son or daughter created in the image of God, molded, crafted, and formed, and wonderfully made. That God called you his own, his beloved, made in his image, loved by him, pursued by him. And you have to do nothing to get that. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God formed you in his image and in his likeness. And you have to do nothing to get that. That's where your identity and value is. Why does something else have value? Because it's rare. When we, uh, this summer we were in, we're, I was, um, we went back to Alberta. That's where I'm originally from. We are back in Alberta. And one day we go to Banff. Banff is better than Whistler, by the way. Just want to put that out there. BC people, Whistler, this, Whistler, that. Go to Banff, get rocked. It's just better. It's my Alberta flex. They have this store in Banff. <clears throat> if you've ever been to Banff, anyone been to Banff? Come on now. So you know it's true. Um, we went, we were, there's this store in Banff that sells the coolest stuff, Tristan. They sell, they sell faucets. Like real faucets. So we're in there, and there's, a, there's this thing that I saw. I was like, oh my, I need to get this. It was a full intact fossilized skull of a cave bear. A ca cave bears went exti extinct 25,000 years ago, and they had a fully intact fossilized cave bear skull. And I was like, I need this, obviously, <laughs> for my house, because how, how cool would that be? People come over and be like, what's up with the skull? That's a cave bear. Extinct 25,000 years ago. Pretty cool. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I'm for sure want to buy this. So I walk over and it was $80,000. And I was like, okay, no, not today. I'm going to have to think about that one. Probably go for a lot to think, think it over, you know. <laughs> Probably think, think over this purchase. It was $80,000. $80, I was like, good gracious. It was absurd amount of money. I was like, why? Why was it so expensive? Because it's rare. Not just anybody has a fossilized, fully intact cave bear skull. It's rare. But, but, um, Janice, can you just do me a favor because I forgot to do this ahead of time. Can you just go out this door and just, there's the rocks right there. Can you just, just grab me a rock real quick. Watch this. No, not, okay. Um, just this door, Janice. Where, I'm not sure where you're, where are you going? This door. Just go outside. Just grab me a rock. 
Just, just a, any rock. Yeah, give me that rock. Whoa, that's really big. Cool. Just get the pump on. Okay, this was, I was just thinking a pebble, but this works. This is much larger than I would have grabbed. Okay, let me just make my point, y'all. <coughs> okay, cave bear skull rare. That's why it's so expensive. This rock, do you think I could get, I could not get, I could not get 80,000 for it. I could not get a dollar for it because somebody would be like, why would I give you a dollar when I can go outside and get another rock? But, okay, <laughs> give me a dollar. Okay, can I just make my point? hijacking my message like this. Look at this. Getting dirt all over my scriptures. Golly, I didn't think this point would go so off the rails. Okay. The cave bear skull is worth a lot of money because it's rare. This rock is worth nothing because it's common. Can I tell you something about your life? That you're rare and you're not common. So your life has value because of the one who made you, the artist, but also because you're rare. There's only one of you. There's no one like you. You're not, you're not, com you're not commonplace. It's not like we go through life and be like, well, there's just everyone, everyone's like me and I'm just, no I'm just common and everyone. No. No. If we believe the scriptures and that is our foundation and that's our authority and we go to scriptures and we see verse after verse about God talking about how much, one, he loves you, but then two, how he formed you in your mother's womb, like he knitted you together. And his thoughts for you outnumber <coughs> the sands on the seashore. Like that's how, that's how like, that's how like so God is into you. And you're not common. <coughs> Look at what the National Institute for Medical Science says. If you uncoil each strand of DNA and place them end to end and do this for all of your DNA, the resulting strand would be 67 billion miles long. The same as about 150,000 round trips to the moon. That's your DNA uncoiled end to end. That's how intricate God made you. That's when he's knitting you together. And he's forming you. And he's making you. You're not a common rock that I can just grab from outside the door. You're rare. God made you. Your value is in that. And can I tell you something? Your value and your worth and your identity is in that. And you have to do nothing for it. Because you were knitted before you could even try to earn it. But society says to earn it. Prove it. Maintain it. God says it was done. Your value was secure. Your identity was locked in. Before you could even try to earn it. And then watch. And then he proves, your val he proves how valuable you are. In Genesis 3, just two chapters later, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So now they're in Eden. He's created humanity. They're in Eden. They're in Eden. The serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In this moment that they do this, sin enters the world. It separates humanity and God. What was perfectly unified is now severed and separated. 
And then God, the rest of the scriptures, is God going on a rescue mission to get back what he lost. You know, sometimes when I forget something somewhere, I, I, I think through it in my mind, is it worth going to go get? If I leave something behind at, some, at, 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 at like a restaurant or whatever, and I'm like, is it, is it worth my time and my effort and the fuel to go get that item, or should I just leave it? Because how valuable is that to me? Or is my time more valuable? And all of a sudden, I, you, start, you start weighing the idea, is it, is it worth going to go get? And there's sometimes like, ah, it's not worth it. I'm just leaving it. I just forget. The reality is when God lost relationship with humanity, he was like, it's, you're so worth it. You, you have so much value and so much worth because you're made in my image. I'm the artist who created you. You're so rare that what will it take to get to reconcile relationship, pay for sin? It's going to require the life of my son. It's no question. Already I will send the son. I already know that. In fact, in Genesis, in the same chapter, when God comes against the serpent, he, he's already prophesying the coming of the Messiah right from Genesis. He already knows from Eden what it will take to get relation, reconcile relationship with humanity. That's how valuable you are. That's how much worth you have. That's where our identity is secured in. Not in what I can do, not what I do. And that's why I love like Christmas time. Because I love the narrative that we recount every, every holiday season, every Christmas season. When we recall the reality that the Messiah was sent as a baby but would grow and mature in, into his adult years. And then eventually he would go to the cross and, be, and die for our sins to reconcile and pay a price that you and I could not pay. So that we could be in relationship with God. That's how valuable you are. And then third, he adopts you. Your value and worth is in your identity, that your identity is a son and daughter of God, adopted into the family of God. Look what Paul says in the 8th chapter of Romans. He says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, we, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. When God gave his life so that we could have a relationship with him, he adopted you into his family. What was lost, he purchased back. He paid a price you and I could not pay. Why? So that you and I could be sons and daughters. You are a son or a daughter by adoption. Brought back into the family of God, and it has nothing to do with what you can produce, do, contribute, succeed, fail. It has nothing to do with what our lives can create or produce. It has everything to do with what God has done and who he's called you to be, that you are a son and a daughter. Not, not what, oh, what can you do? He would only save something that he values worthless. And when he sends a son, that's what I love about that Christmas, and when he sends the son... It's a big statement saying you're worth it. You're worth sending the son. You're worth saving. You're worth creating. You're worth knowing. You're worth adopting. You're worth having a relationship with. You're worth dying for. You're worth it. In a world that says you're not worth it until you prove it or you do something significant, you have to earn it and prove it. God says you're worth it and you have to do nothing for it. You just are because he loves you and he created you. And you don't have to earn it or prove it. And that's where our identity is. So when I lose my job, I'm still worth it. And I don't lose my identity. 
My identity is not what I do. It's not my job. It's found in the artist who created me. When I don't make that sports team I dreamed of, or I, when my relationships or finances aren't going the way I dreamed of it, I'm still worth it. When my mental health is struggling, I'm still worth it. When I make mistakes in life, wrong decisions, I'm still worth it. When school and my academics isn't going as good as I thought, I'm still, I'm still worth it. And I love how Henry Nouwen, author Henry Nouwen puts it. He says this, there are many other voices speaking loudly. Prove that you're the beloved. Prove you're worth something. Prove, prove that you have a contribution to make. Do something relevant. Be sure you make a name for yourself. At least have some power. Then people will love you. Then people will say you're wonderful and you're great. These voices are so strong in the world. These were the voices Jesus heard right after he heard, you're the beloved. Another voice said, prove you're the beloved. Do something. Change these stones into bread. Be sure you're famous. Jump from the temple and you will be known. Grab some power so you have real influence. Don't you want influence? Isn't that why you came? Jesus said, no. I don't have to prove anything. I'm already the beloved. And if you keep that in mind, Henry Nouwen says, you can deal with an enormous amount of success as well as an enormous amount of failure without losing your identity because your identity is that you are the beloved. Formed and created in the image of God in his likeness, not in what you can do. And I love that right after Jesus' baptism, at his baptism, before he starts his public ministry, he's baptized. God speaks over him, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He's the beloved. And then right after the thief, that's the devil, comes and starts to whisper lies to Jesus. Try to prove it, prove it, prove it. Prove you're the beloved. Do these things. Prove, the, prove you have power. Prove you have influence. And this is what happens. As the, as the thief comes to lie and whisper in our ears, that now what God said is, you were formed right in the very beginning in Eden. You were formed in my image and my likeness. You don't have to do anything to have that because I did it before you could earn it. And then the thief comes and starts to whisper in our ears, oh, but don't you think you should, you should succeed at this or do this to have value or have worth? And even when we make our mistakes, it's like, oh, well, that's your identity now. You're this person now. It wasn't too long ago, I got this, I got a text to my phone. And it was from a person in our community here. And they were sharing how they had gone through uh, a difficult, they're in a difficult season. They had made some very poor choices in their life. And so they were dealing with the very real and earthy consequences of their choices. It was very real. But then they said this, they, in, in the, at the end of the text, they said this. I don't know if my life is worth it. That was how they ended the text. And what I realized was happening in this person's spirit was that they were allowing their mistakes and failures to change their identity. Yes, they made some choices in their life. Yes, there's very earthly consequences that they're going to have to deal with. But the reality is that, I, and that what I hit them back with was, I was like, bro, I was like, Jesus paid too high of a price to, to, to purchase your life for you to think your life has no worth. Your life is still worth it. Your identity is not your mistake. Your identity is not your failure. Your identity was secured in Eden. Your identity was spoken and birthed into when God breathed into humanity and brought them forth. Your identity was already spoken into. So yes, you've made some mistakes as we all have. But your identity is not your mistake. You are not your mistake. You're, that is not who you are. It's something you've done and we're going to have to walk through some stuff. But it is not your identity. Don't allow it to become your identity because if you allow your mistakes and your failures to become your identity, it will take you down a dark path 
that you do not want to go down because that's the thief in your ear trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Trying to be like, oh, that's who you are now. That, you're that person now. It's like, no, you're not. And God's spoken in Eden that you're not that person. That your identity is in the one who created you. Your value is that you're rare. Your value is that the artist breathed you into existence. And it's not in your successes or your failures. It's not in what you do. So your identity is not your achievements and your successes. Your identity is not your failures. Your identity is not your career. Your identity is not your education or intellect or network or an economic standing. Not what you contribute or create. It's not what your life produces. That is not your identity. Those are things that happen in our life. Those are things that and dreams and pursuits we go after, but it's not who I am. But this is what your identity is. Made in the image and likeness of the triune God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made unique out of the mind and heart of the creator. Purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You are the beloved. You are adopted son and daughter. And when we understand our identity, we can begin to walk in the abundant life that Jesus talked about. We can begin to walk in that abundant life. There's moments when I think I'm not worth it. Right? We all have that. I'm not worth it. Then we remind ourselves. We remind ourselves of what Jesus spoke in Eden. I don't know what the thief's been whispering in your ears these days about your identity. I know what he's whispering in as a, as a whole of society. We got people trying their best, trying to figure out who they are. That's why I'm so, I, I'm so passionate about people coming to know Jesus. It's not just, it's not just for eternity's sake. It's so that we can taste and see the goodness of God now. That people can walk in identity today, not just when they get to eternity, but today. And then we could see a, our city and our society start to walk in, in their real identity and their purpose and their calling. And not just being like, so lost, so lost. I love the song that the team led this morning. You reign above it all, and it, it goes like this. You, the reign of darkness is over. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. And I love that Jesus, when he, when he breathed it in the beginning, in, in Eden, he secured it with his resurrection. And there's so many of us that we're just, we're so lost sometimes in our identity because for some of us this isn't new, but we haven't actually believed it enough to live it. And so we've been putting in our identity in, the, in, our, in different things, in our, in our work or in our family or in our, like in our kids or in what we create or produce or what, what we contribute. And so we've been, maybe I'm this person or maybe, maybe I'm this person or maybe I'm this person. We're, we're going through this rat race trying to figure out like who we are. We're just trying to answer this question. Can I tell you something, friends? God already spoke it in the beginning in Eden. Who you are. You don't need to run around trying to recreate yourself. Every, every 10 years, every decade, trying to be like, well, who am I now? Your identity never changed. What you maybe do with your time has shifted and changed and altered. And maybe you've had a career change. Maybe your economic standing has shifted and changed. But your identity should be secure in the one who breathed existence into you. And it shifts stuff, man. It changes things. It's not just like, it's not just like a nice thought. It's that things can happen in your life, good things and hard things, and yet you're secure. And so now the things of this world can come and they can, they can the things of this world can, can go good or can go bad, but it, we're, we're solid. We're secure in our identity. 
And we don't have to be moved by the waves of, of time and of society and what society says is true or what society says is your identity. But we're secure in the reality of who God made us to be. So we don't have to be tossed by society and by the cultural narrative. But you can be secure in who God made you to be. So friends, I don't know what you've been what you've been thinking about in your life lately. I don't know how what you've been thinking about is your identity. But I just wonder, friends, if there's people in this place this morning that you need to come back to the reality and the, the conviction and the revelation of who you really are in your identity. And not make your identity what you do, what you produce, what you create, what you contribute, your successes and your failures. But rather that your identity is secure in the one who made you, that you are the beloved. And you don't have to prove it, friends. And I wonder if there's just people this morning that just need to have a moment with Jesus where you come to a fresh revelation, a fresh revealing of that reality in your life. That you can have a, you can have a moment with Jesus just even right now where, where God just, I think, just wants to speak this truth into people's lives. That you can step into your true identity. So we're just going to have a moment. The team can come back. And I wonder, friends, I wonder what the, what, the, what the thief has been whispering in your ear. What the thief's been talking to you about. And I wonder if there's some of us in the room this morning that have been, we've been all over the place trying to find our identity. And I wonder, friends, if there's just some people that you just have to have a moment with Jesus where Jesus wants to speak your real identity into you. Not what you do. Not this rat race. Not this running around trying to figure out who you are. But Jesus wants to reveal to you for the first time. Maybe for the first time or maybe for a, maybe afresh who you are, who you are. So when we answer that question, it's like, who am I? Who am I? You're the beloved breathed out of the word of God. That's Jesus. Breathed into existence. Identity secure in the one who made you in his image and likeness. Your value and your worth is in that. So you don't need to find your value and worth in something else. And the, the thief has been lying, saying, no, prove it here, find it here, contribute here, get this, get power, get success. Or in your failures, you are your failure. That's who you are now. It's like, oh, there's some of us and say, that's, that's, not, that's not who I am. Maybe I've had some success in my life, that's great. Maybe I've had some failures in my life, that's, that's unfortunate. But it's not who I am. It's things that have happened in my life, but it's not who I am. I'm not going to build my identity around those things. Because when we do, we get left stranded. We get left stranded, even in our successes. Those successes will come and go. Our failures will come and go. The things we produce will come and go. Right? When we get stranded, because now it's like, well, that was, that was a few years ago now, so who am I today? Who am I now? And we try to recreate ourselves try to recreate ourselves. You don't need to. Because your identity is secure. And if we can get, friends, if we can get our identity secure, if we, can, if we can come to that conclusion, then what will flow out of our identity will be our purpose. Then what comes out of our purpose will be the calling God has on your life. And then out of our calling, God might speak an assignment into your life. Something he wants to do with this life he's given you. But everything... And when we look at the chronological order in Eden, everything will come out of the identity. So until we, until we can fully realize and come to the conclusion 
that we're the beloved and we have our identity secure, the other things cannot healthily come into our life. Our purpose, our calling, and our assignment cannot be in alignment until we have our identity secure in the one who made you. And then, friends, oh my goodness, then we can step into the abundant life when we have our identity secure. Then, friends, the abundant life starts to be lived out. Because now we can go through life and anything can come our way. And we're like, hey, I know I'm getting secure. I'm secure in who I am. I know who God made me to be. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to earn it. Because I know where my value is. I'm not common. God made me unique. And because I'm unique, he wants me to walk in purpose and calling. He's going to give me an assignment. Amen? While we stand, we're going to respond. I'd love to pray for you. The song they're going to lead, there's this line in it that says, uh, I am who you say I am. As we respond to the, to the medium of music, as we respond with worship, oh, can, I, can you just allow that verse to sing over you and that melody and that lyric to come and resonate in your spirit? That you are who God said you are. Not what your boss says. Not what your kid says. Not what society says. Not what your friend has said. You are who he said you are. And he said you're the beloved. I am who he says I am. Not what the world says. I am who you say I am. Can you allow that melody and that lyric and this anthem to just to, to rise up in you? I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. And when you get in those moments where you forget it and you're like, you're, 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 you feel yourself trying to earn your identity and your value and your worth in something else. You can just pause and wait. Whoa, 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 I am who you say I am. And you said it in Eden. And I am who you say I am. And I don't have to earn my value and I don't have to prove my worth. Because it was given to me from the creator. This isn't just some random painting. This is a Van Gogh. This is a Yahweh painting. This is something that Yahweh, that is the name. Yahweh is the name of God. It's the name of the Father. And it said, this is something that Yahweh painted. And there is no price that you can put on your painting. There's no price that you can put on this painting. Because it's a painting by Yahweh. We couldn't send it to auction because nobody would have enough money. There's no money that could buy your value. The only thing that could buy your value was the life of God himself in Jesus. Do you understand your worth? Some of y'all need to get that in your spirit, just how valuable you are. So God, we thank you. We thank you, God, that from the beginning you've spoken identity and value and worth. And even when it was lost, you proved it. You said, oh, you're so worth it. I'm sending a son. And you're not defined by your successes or failures or what your life produces. Those are things that happen. But you're who you are. Who you are. At your deepest. At your, at like your core. Is made in the image and likeness of Yahweh.
Maybe there's a battle in your mind right now, a battle in your mind to believe, to believe that you're the beloved, to, to hear the voice of God saying, I love you. You have value because I made you. But he reigns above it all. He made a choice. chose us to sit with him. So Father, I just ask, I ask that you help us to believe, that you help us to believe what you say. To believe that we're the beloved, to let our identity flow only in month uh, when we gather together we come to the table and we celebrate communion and this is an opportunity for us in a physical act to remember and reflect on what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and through his resurrection and uh, as the communion service come forward I just want to read from how Luke records Jesus inviting us to the very first communion he says and the hour came he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so we come to the table here. There's physical tables around the room and at the front of the balcony where you can come and receive a cracker and juice. And these aren't magical elements. They're just symbols of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus for us. And I invite you to take it back to your seat and ask that God would reveal his son to you. That in this moment, we as a community would look at Jesus. We would look at what he has accomplished for us on the cross, how he went to the cross so that in our sin, when we could do nothing to reconcile ourselves to God, he went to the cross and shed his blood so that we could be with him forever. And it's when we look to Jesus in his resurrection that we see who we really are and who he, how he's given us that right to stand. I just invite you to take some time and look to Jesus and look to the cross in this space to pray and then you can take the elements on your own at any time in the next couple songs. This is just a beautiful opportunity for us to be reminded of all that Jesus is.
Filled with his glory. 
more that we can sing with full conviction that you are committed so god i just ask that you would reveal your goodness to us this morning in an even deeper way that we've tasted and we've seen and we believe that you're good you keep on getting better you keep on getting field as we go this week and we walk in the way of Jesus, may we look to him over and over and over again to see who we are. Ask him to make himself real clear to us. Have an awesome week and we hope to see you back here again next week. Amen.